through, uh, oh, there he is, for this morning's scripture reading, we'll be carrying on through the book of 1 Corinthians, this time in chapter 11, and we'll be starting at verse 17 through the end of the chapter, verse 34. And so that'll be on the screen there, but if you want a moment to find that for yourselves, you can do that as we prepare to hear from God's Word, 1 Corinthians 11, starting at verse 17. Well, here we read that in the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have the Lord's approval. So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's supper that you eat, for when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. And as a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment upon themselves. This is why many among you are sick and weak, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined, so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further directions. May God bless to our understanding that reading from His Word. Now, I think if there's one thing that just about everyone associates with church in a good way, it's a good potluck. I think that I think most people have, have been to one of those somewhere along the way, and that's, you know, that's something we've got going for us. There's a joke about kids at school being asked to bring something to school that would kind of describe the culture that they come out of. And so there was a Catholic student who brought a crucifix, and there was a Jewish student who brought a menorah, and then the Baptist student came in with his crockpot. Eating together was very culturally important uh, for Jews in New Testament times. Jesus did a lot of ministry sitting around tables with people. And the church has not lost that sense that these times of shared food and fellowship are important and they are very spiritual. 
I have lots of formative memories of, of my time spent in the, the rather dark basement of Sackville Baptist Church as a kid, putting way too much on my plate and then eating it much too fast to run back for more dessert from the, from the table there, and then spending some time in the washroom until I was sure I wasn't going to throw up. Um, and then all the kids would run outside and throw crab apples at each other for a while. It was, you know, that was a good way to grow up right there. Today, though, we're going to see this example of what happens when a relatively simple thing, like a shared meal for a church, goes very wrong. We've been working our way through the book of 1 Corinthians and seeing some of the responses to the messiness happening in that early church. The Apostle Paul, he knew the people of this church well. He cared about helping them mature in their faith as they lived and worshiped together. And so this book is one of several letters that he wrote to help sort them out. Sometimes gently, sometimes a bit exasperated or even appalled, but always in the hope of teaching them how to really be the people of God together. And so meals together, which often led into a form of communion service for the early church, they played an important role in the unity of that community. And that is still true. And so today I'll explore some principles that we can learn from the Corinthians as well as reminding ourselves how we want to approach communion when we come to the table. And then we'll do that ourselves and seek to do that in a worthy way today. So last week we were in 1 Corinthians 10, and Paul used communion as an illustration of why maybe attending and participating in idol worship in pagan temples was not a great idea. And as we hit chapter 11, we're onto the topic of communion, but this time in the actual setting it should happen in, in the early church, uh, in their house churches or, or their community uh, meals. And Paul has heard that some of the Corinthians were doing this very, very badly. He considers it so serious that he says, your meetings do more harm than good. Right? That's, not a, that's not a good church experience. If you walk out the door saying, well, that did more harm than good, come in here today. And so he said, it'd be better not to have done the Lord's Supper at all than to do it the way that you're doing it. So what is happening here. And, and from the beginning of the early church, it was, it was their custom to just come together to eat, essentially to have, you know, a good potluck supper. And then they would conclude with the Lord's Supper from there. And some of the same words, same scripture passages that we use today, these forms, you know, in many cases haven't changed or changed all that much. I don't know why that keeps happening. Hang on. <laughs> I don't know. All right. They called this meal the, the love feast or the agape meal, agape being the Greek word for, for love. And this was such a core part of their community. And the agape meal was supposed to be this unifying community building time. And people came together, they shared food, they laughed, they talked, they prayed together, and then they had communion together. But some of the folks in Corinth who had you know, the means to bring a healthy amount of food, they weren't sharing it with others. There were those among them who were poor and hungry. We learned about the diversity of this early church at the beginning of the series. And so either these wealthier folks were clueless about the situation some of their church family were in, or they were deliberately snubbing the poor members of the church. So you know, we're having our anniversary uh, next week, and so you know, we're going to have food and, and fellowship afterward. You know, the social committee is providing the hot dogs. Other people were hoping are to bring some of the side dishes and, and desserts and things. But if you imagine for a moment that you know, that Marlene comes in with a beautiful potato salad, this big bowl of delicious potato salad, and then she sits at a table all by herself and then just eats the whole thing, right? That's, 
that would be a very, very strange thing to, to see, right? Or, or, uh, or Gordon comes, and he's brought a, brought a whole cake that he's baked himself. And now it looks this beautiful, huge chocolate cake, and he sits there, and he invites his two or three closest friends to come over, and then they just eat the whole cake, right? Or if we try to imagine that someone, maybe someone new, maybe someone we don't know, they show up, and they're hungry, and they leave hungry afterward. That's not how that's supposed to happen, not after spending time in a community that's supposed to be built on the foundation of Jesus and his love. And so if we can start to imagine that, then we can probably imagine and even feel in our gut why Paul is so upset, why he says, I have no praise for you. Your meetings do more harm than good. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in, right? You shouldn't become starving, ideally, especially if you have the means not to. Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing, by refusing to share with them? Because the point of these meals was not to eat and drink until you were stuffed and tipsy, The point was right there in the name. It was love. It was to express and affirm love for one another and for the whole community. And that should still be the point of church meals together. Our goal is not to simply walk out with our stomach satisfied, but to walk out having contributed in some way to strengthening our sense of community, having found some opportunity, I hope, to to welcome or to encourage or to grow closer to other believers. And the only silver lining, Paul says, about this whole thing is that the, be- the behavior of some of these inconsiderate people makes it clear which members of the community have God's approval and which don't. He says, at least by their bad example, by contrast, we can see the people who are doing this well. You know, so the person who is investing some time in engaging with others who they don't know, who aren't as connected, the one who is confused about where the coffee cart is and you go and help them, that person's got this right. Meanwhile, the one over in the corner hoarding the fried chicken is the one who clearly does not, and we can see the difference. And for the Corinthians, Paul says that this behavior means that by the time you get to the Lord's Supper, which was the ending, you know, they would finish up with communion, by the time you get there, he says, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat, for when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. Basically, he's saying, your time of communion does not really count Because communion is not an individual act, it is a community act. And if people are selfishly mistreating those around them, they should not expect that there is any meaning to them participating in communion afterward. Now from here, Paul reminds them of what the church teaches about the Lord's Supper. And this is a very common passage, of course, to read or to reference at communion time. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. But during the Lord's Supper, I often don't keep reading and and do the whole next bit. Right? So then, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. And that is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. And the reason I don't tend to read that part right before communion is that if you don't understand the larger context of this, all of a sudden a person could think that they are at risk of being cursed or dying somehow if they take communion in the wrong way, which is not really what we're trying to get across. What if they think they're just too sinful 
to be worthy of participating. But that's not quite it, is it? Because we've seen the context of what Paul is talking about. When he says, eat and eat the bread and drinking the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, this is related to the selfish attitude, the lack of consideration that they have for one another, which is causing division in the church. It's rooted in their failure to love one another. Now, every single one of us comes to the Lord's table as unworthy people. We all have that in common. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We're not coming to receive something we've earned. Communion is for the unworthy. But we should not partake of the bread and the cup in an unworthy manner, it says. Communion is a remembrance of Jesus' sacrifice for us that brings unity and reconciliation to his people. And so imagine seeing someone who's just, you know, badly mistreated a needy brother or sister and then sitting down to take communion without reckoning with that and believing that it's helping them in some way or that it's doing them some good. It is not. Paul declares that they're guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of Jesus by disregarding each other's needs and tells the Corinthians, this is why you're physically suffering because of this. People are getting sick and dying, he says, because these are consequences, or physical consequences of your spiritual issue. But he says these are, this is God's discipline, not vengeance. The spiritual sickness that leads to the physical sickness, so the Corinthians will recognize it. So they'll see that there is a problem, so they will repent. He says, we're being disciplined so that we will not finally be condemned with the world. But the good news, Paul says, is you can turn this around. He says, but if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. So once again, I'm going to try to take us from ancient Corinth to modern-day Halifax here and, and point to some ways we could understand and apply what the Bible is telling us. And we're going to start with that key word from just a moment ago, which is discerning. That's how Paul says the Corinthians can avoid coming under God's judgment by being more discerning about themselves. And discernment is like having good judgment, but more so. Right? The Bible often speaks of discernment as the ability to recognize what is from God and what is not. And it's one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit listed in the next chapter of 1 Corinthians that is, is discerning of spirits. And this was especially important in the early church for the purpose of distinguishing between the many false teachers that they had running around and those who were actually speaking through the Holy Spirit. Mind you, that didn't become a whole lot less important as we go from there to here either. But in the, this case, the discerning is applied to the community itself, starting with each person and their own spiritual state. And it's a common practice based on this passage for Christians to take some time before participating in the Lord's Supper for some reflection or discernment. And that can even begin before you leave home, well, or even on the drive to church. It can happen you know, before the service begins or as you're going through the service to get ready. And it can happen right as the time of communion is beginning as well. And I'll try to be mindful of giving people time and space to encourage that rather than just hoping people remember to do it on their own. But self-discernment is about looking for where I am aligned with God and where I am not. And we spent a whole month earlier this year on the spiritual disciplines of self-examination and confession, so an awful lot of that would apply right here. But there is a particular emphasis when we come to the Lord's table. It's community. 
Not that you shouldn't seek to recognize or confess any kind of sin that you might have going on as part of that process, but I believe we're being asked to point the spotlight of discernment on our role within the church and the state of our relationships with others. That's what the Corinthians needed, certainly, as they were disregarding the needs and feelings of the poor in their midst. And we need that too. Maybe not for the same reasons. I think overall our potluck behavior is pretty good around here. But there are lots of other things we could be discerning. Right? How do I speak about others in my church family? Are their names safe upon my lips, or have I been critical or mean-spirited in how I describe and talk about them? How do I practice hospitality in my church? Do I make that effort to make others feel welcome and feel connected? Do I assume that somebody else will take care of that? How do I contribute what God has given me back to my church? Do I give of my resources in keeping with my means? Do I consider whether I can help meet needs for for help with this project, for leadership, for this particular set of skills? Do I offer my service because I should seek to add to my community or just kind of wait until someone desperately seeks me out? How do I cultivate a positive atmosphere around me and around my church? With my greetings, with my encouragement, with my acts of care, with my hopeful presence, do I make this a place others would likely to be drawn to? Or do I kind of shuffle in, shuffle out again at the end without trying to leave anybody better off than I found them? How well do I show that I value and I respect each person equally? Am I ever dismissive of the young, of the old, of the less educated, of the more educated, of women or men or someone who maybe is rich or poor? Do I pridefully consider my interests and my preferences and my opinions to be better and more important than those of others? There are all kinds of things that we can seek to discern at any time. And during any time of particular conflict or upheaval, of course, there would be others. But our prayer would be that if we're discerning these things at the best of times and eager to seek what God wants for us, then we would have less conflict and upheaval, at least of the unnecessary variety. And if the necessary variety comes, then the bonds within the church are much stronger to be able to work through that together. And the mental shift that has to happen here is to keep thinking us instead of me. Communion is just not a me thing. It's an act of remembrance that's enacted in community. So a visitor or someone who is looking for a a local church to become part of, they can come and take communion with us. They are part of the wider Christian community, the capital C Church. And sometimes we will take communion, you know, one-on-one or two-on-one with a member of our church who can't come here on a Sunday morning. So we, we extend the reach of our community to them in that way. But it would never occur to me to just sit down at my dining room table and, and get some bread and some juice and decide that I'm having communion now. You know, there's private communion is really not a thing. It is not the Lord's Supper you eat, as our passage says. It's not a me thing. The Lord's table is an us thing where we come to seek the presence of Jesus in remembrance of him together. Sinful divisiveness prevents communion from being communion because there's just no such thing as loving and honoring God while failing to love and honor the brothers and sisters who gather at the table with us. Can't be done. It's not the Lord's Supper you eat. Now, none of this is intended to make the bar impossibly high to receive communion. I'm hopeful that you're not all just going to leave your cups down now at the end of this and say, oh, I don't know. Can I have this? Unworthy people 
can take the bread and cup in a worthy way, even if we're still a little bit annoyed at someone who we've forgiven and we've decided we'll let that go, but it's, it's not quite done. Even if we're unhappy at some recent decision that the leadership group has made, even if we're really not impressed with the pastor's sermon this week, you know, it's not, it doesn't rule it all out. But the Bible is telling us that we shouldn't participate in communion without taking that opportunity to discern if we are, to the best of our knowledge and ability, being loving members of the community committed to unity, not ignoring people's needs and feelings, not nurturing grudges or refusing to acknowledge our sin or asking forgiveness where we've hurt someone else. And the Bible, which is God's word to us, says there are consequences for failing to do this. And I, I don't believe that the Corinthian example of illness and death applies to all churches at all times. But I do believe that with a just God on the throne of heaven, nobody gets away with anything. Right? Sin always has consequences sooner or later. 20 years ago, this church went through a split that's as bad as any I've heard of, and I've heard of way more than I wish I had. I've met too many wounded ex-members of churches, and over the years, I've also bumped into people who haven't missed a Sunday their entire lives, and they are more selfish and entitled than most of the non-Christians I know. I've met some of those people's children who saw little reason to take Christianity seriously because it only made their parents prideful and overbearing rather than humble and gracious. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. It's a serious thing we do when we come to the Lord's table as a community of faith. But it's also a gift. It's a gift with a promise of good things to come. We come to the table because Jesus invites us. And Jesus invites us in different ways. He invites us to look back, first of all, in remembrance of his sacrifice, of his body which was broken and his blood which was shed for us. Jesus invites us to look around, to see that we are in right relationship and fellowship with God's people. Jesus invites us to look within, to examine the state of our souls and to exercise that discernment. But don't forget that Jesus also invites us to look forward, forward to his return and to the fulfillment of God's promises to us. Right? This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Until he comes. Because God does not abandon his covenants, old or new. He sticks with us when we're doing a good job of sticking with him, and he sticks with us when we don't, just as he has through hundreds of generations of stiff-necked people before us. Jesus didn't shed his blood for people who had it figured out. He went to the cross for the clueless and the confused and the scared and all of the messy people who would come after them, drawn to this truth that they proclaimed that he loves us anyway. And the more we learn to love him back, the more like him we become. And he, he gives us new life through his death. He offers us eternal life through his resurrection. He has not finished with this world. So for now, we honor him by living according to the values of his kingdom. And one day, his kingdom will come. And all that's wrong will be made right, and all that is sad will be undone. That's why we do this in remembrance of him until comes. So I invite you to, to join me in this prayer in preparation to come before the Lord's table today. Loving God, 
you call us to a different way, to the way of your kingdom rather than the way of this world. And the way of this world is all about me, but the way of your kingdom is to care deeply about us out of love for you. Help us live this out within your church, and may the invitation to the Lord's table serve as an abiding reminder of both the privileges and responsibilities of being in community with other believers. Lord Jesus, help us to prepare our hearts to come before your table in remembrance of you. You gave all for us. Show us how we can give our best back to you and to one another. We thank you for your love that took you to the cross on our behalf. We praise you for your power that overcame death and opened the way to reconciliation with God and those around us. We give thanks that though we are unworthy, you make us worthy when we belong to you. Holy Spirit, help us not to take the bread and the cup waiting for us in an unworthy way. In this moment of quiet, help us to discern if we have sinned against you or one another in a way that we ought to confess and address if we can. Triune God, thank you for the assurance of your forgiveness. Thank you for your presence among us. Thank you for all that this table represents. Please bless this time of communion, I pray. Amen.